do the trashy pulp novels of the world have anything to offer? Our bestsellers, all they're hyped up to be. The Terrible Book Club explores whether or not you really can judge a book by its cover or its ridiculous synopsis. If you've ever seen a book and thought, ugh, who's reading this? We probably are. Hello and welcome to episode 118 of the Terrible Book Club. I'm Chris and this is Paris. Hello. This time we read Beach Read by Emily Henry. Honestly, this one resulted from us taking one look at the New York Times bestsellers list and choosing the thing we thought we'd hate the most. (laughs) Yeah, essentially. We're always asking how your bestsellers are they're cracked up to be and we kind of haven't done one in a... No, we did Midnight Sun Counts. Yeah, okay. Yeah, we did did the Twilight one. But we wanted to sample... We wanted to see what else the bestsellers list had for us. We wanted to sample a different flavor from the bestseller cart as it rolled by. So we chose Mm -hmm. Beach Read, which was published uh, last summer. So I want to say, can't remember if it was May 2020 or June 2020, but eh, last year. If this is your first time listening to this show, what we do here at the Terrible Book Club is read books that we assume will be bad based on their cover, title, summary, or some combination of the three. Sometimes we read books that our patrons, listeners, or friends recommend. So in general, we do the opposite of what most people do when they're in a bookstore or while they're browsing the internet for something to read. And usually this results in a disappointing read for us, but once in a while, we do actually end up liking the book. Content warnings for today, in addition to our usual barnyard language, include alcoholism, infidelity, sex, and cults again, somehow. I don't know. This is two cults in a row. Double You know, you're not expecting it, and all of a sudden there's a cult, and you're in it, right? You know, it's just how it works. Yeah, you just wake up and, whoop, cult member. All right. (laughs) I just woke up this morning. I was in a cult. One of those days. All right. Um, I'll do the back of the book and the characters and setting here. And then Paris will regale us with our summary of the entire story. Hmm. All right. So tell us, what does the back of Beach Reads say, Chris? Augustus Everett is an acclaimed author of literary fiction. January Andrews writes best-selling romance. When she pens a happily ever after, he kills off his entire cast. They're polar opposites. In fact, the only thing they have in common is that for the next three months, they're living in neighboring beach houses, broke and bogged down with writer's block. Until one hazy evening, one thing leads to another and they strike a deal designed to force them out of their creative ruts. Augustus will spend the summer writing something happy and January will pen the next great American novel. She'll take him on field trips worthy of any rom-com montage and he'll take her to interview surviving members of a backwoods death cult, obviously. Everyone will finish a book and no one will fall in love. Really. All right. Well, that would, yeah, I would put that down after uh, after the third (laughs) sentence. Not even the death cult grabs you? I wouldn't get that far. (laughs) 
I would have abandoned it by sentence four. No, I'm sorry. One, two, three, four, uh, five. I would have abandoned it after sentence five, which is halfway through what Chris read. (laughs) So... All right, so for our setting and our characters here, this is set in North Bear Shores, Michigan, a lake town near U- the University of Michigan. Um, our characters are January Andrews, the protagonist, which really does sound kind of like some kind of fake porn star name. Just got to say that. Kind of, Augustus Everett, Augustus Everett does a little bit as no, well. No, he's a Civil a War general. He's the- <laughs> yeah, you're right. General Augustus Everett. <laughs> Which side? I mean. <laughs> <laughs> we'll leave that up to you, listener. Uh, we have Gus's aunt, Pete slash Posey, and her geologist wife, Maggie. Her name is really Posey, but she calls herself Pete because Posey is lame to her. Yeah, I'd agree with that. You have January's mom and dad. Do we ever get their names? They're just mom and dad. No, I think they get dad's name at some point. I don't know if we get mom's name. They're basically just mom and dad for most of the book. But you do get. It doesn't matter what their names are, really. Yeah. You do get the name of her dad's mistress, Sonia. Uh, Then we have Shadi, January's friend, who pops in via text message and sometimes in person. Mm-hmm. Uh, you have Anya, January's agent, who is kind of breathing down her neck most of the book. I'm like, did you finish the book yet? Did you finish the book? Did you finish the we book gotta yet? Sell, we got to sell that book. We got to sell that book. Man, anymore. am I glad I'm not part of a record label where they're breathing down our necks about albums and stuff. Yeah, really. Our failure truly is a relief. <laughs> <laughs> and then my favorite characters in the whole book, honestly, they're of no consequence to anything, but they and do they appear. have no names. I don't. They think. have no names. They're just three farting lads. <laughs> Yeah, the three farting labs were were a good time. Uh, albeit, in albeit short. It up. Yeah, I'll be I'll be at a, a brief uh, brief appearance, but but they make themselves known. Let's say they do. Can't forget those farting labs. Um, all right. So just so uh, for your benefit, listeners, you know what the fuck we're talking about when we start critiquing the book. We will read you a summary of all the main main plot points and kind of write story beats. So. Bear with me here. Uh, again, this will be spoiler full. So if you are itching to get your beach read on, maybe skip ahead. Maybe don't listen to this episode until after you read the book. I don't know. Just be aware. We're going to spoil the shit out of this in three, two, one. Summary. January Andrews is a writer known for romance novels with happily ever after endings. However, after finding out that her recently deceased father was seeing another woman on the side for years and breaking up with her picture-perfect boyfriend Jacques, she's having trouble writing another cute, happy romance. With her agent breathing down her neck to produce one, and having just inherited her dad's secret adultery house in a small Michigan town, she sets out to finish some kind of book by the end of summer. While moving herself into the fuckhouse, January has a prickly first interaction with the next-door neighbor, whom she does not see the face of due to plot-convenient lighting. Later, while at a small book coffee shop owned by Pete, the first person in town she finds charming, January finds out that her neighbor is none other than Gus Everett, a fellow writer she knew and had a crush on in college. Both Gus and January get invited to Pete's terrible book club. And so does January's dad's mistress, Sonia, who happens to be friends with Pete. 
January drinks wine out of her purse about it and gets too drunk, so Gus offers her a ride home. They go to a donut shop for coffee to sober up and discover that they're both struggling with writer's block. A little bit later on, they issue each other a writing challenge. Since January tends to write sappy romances and Gus writes dour, heavy-handed fiction, they must try to write in each other's mindset and see who can sell their swapped genre manuscript to their publishers first. The two go on a series of research trips that are essentially dates in which January tries to show Gus examples of good romance settings. And Gus tries to show January how dark life can be by interviewing people who were involved in a suicide cult that popped up in town. In the midst of this, Gus and January are both cagey and not terribly upfront about their feelings, recent pasts, or even their presence. As a result, both jump to conclusions about the other's intentions, but eventually come around to being more open with each other. Various hijinks ensue, such as carnival people watching, getting caught making out in the back of a car at a drive-in theater, a trip to the Olive Garden, <laughs> fucking Spectre rises again, <laughs> <laughs> and fucking near the burned-out remains of said suicide cult compound. In a they, <laughs> they alternate between becoming closer and pulling apart, when someone decides not to be communicative, like two pendulums knocking against each other over and over until the momentum runs out and the declaration of caring about each other in the rain moment happens. January, meanwhile, gains some closure over her father's death when she reads a series of letters her father wrote to her on every one of her birthdays, which she had been keeping secret until I guess he knew he was going to die. I don't know. Her dad's mistress gets kind of screwed over on the whole since she can't even keep the patio furniture from the house she and January's dad shared, never mind the house itself. Nine months later... January and Gus have both sold their Switch-style books. They live together over a musical instrument store. Gus proposes to January at their anniversary party with a fucking piece of paper, and they live happily for now. Oh, that's so cute. Is it? <laughs> trying very hard to be very cute. Ah, oh, fucking ah. Oh. All right, so... <clears throat> Uh, if, if listeners, if you've listened to the show before, you know that Chris and I are generally haters of love and romance. Uh okay, well, yes. <laughs> well, I want to say something to people before we get started here, Paris. And this is, I think, a very important, por very important point for this episode. A very important think, pork? Yes. It's a very important port for us to go through. I think at this point, you and I have read enough romance novels that we can... I guess, I don't know, legally have an opinion on it, right? Like, <laughs> yeah, you have to le read at least 10 books in a genre before you can legally actually have an opinion. It's like, it's like rock climbing. Once you've climbed 10 things of a certain grade, you can move on to the next grade. Just a rule of thumb. I'm going to use that rule for, for novels. I would say we've, we've definitely read. read. We've definitely read at least ten romance books. Not even just books with a romance subplot in them. You did. You do that. You'll include every other goddamn book in existence, as we have found That's out. That's true. But like specifically romance based plot lines, we've read at least 10. We read four in the last two months on this show, honestly. Yeah, that was an of, accident. Yeah, we're wearing this thin. <laughs> we're going to be off the romance for a bit as much as we can, you guys, because it's been get. But anyway, my point being here is that no longer do we have to couch our opinions and, well, we don't read this that often. I don't know, maybe that, but we know we've read enough. We know. We can have a feeling about this. So anyway, Chris and I don't, uh, you know, we don't really hate romance and love. I was being a bit facetious, but we do generally dislike how it is used in books and popular media, like TV shows and movies and stuff. Um, just the general conventions in Western media around romance and love tend to make Chris and I 
Um, everything from disgusted and ill to full of hatred. So, you know, it's, it's, a, it's a spectrum. Generally not great for us. But when it's done well, it makes us pretty fucking happy. We love when romance and love is handled realistically and well and human-like in books. Which is hard to do. It, it is, is difficult. It is not easy. We, we understand that it's not easy. So with all that being said, let's start with the things that we thought were good in this book. First, first of all, all the characters were super believable in here, from January to Gus to Shoddy to uh, January's cheating dad. I mean, everybody seemed like they could absolutely be a real person you could meet at work or at school or on the street or whatever. Uh, I was not for one minute reading any of these characters and feeling like they were shells or, or just kind of outlines. You know, the, everyone felt very genuine. Even donut shop owner guy who's sitting there in his underwear and has all of four <laughs> lines in the whole book mm-hmm. somehow felt like a legitimately real person. And yeah. that's a, that's an accomplishment in writing to get your side characters to feel that way as well. Even peripheral book club members in that one book club scene felt real, not paper yeah. thin. Yeah, everyone everyone really felt fleshed out, like we're saying, and that and that is a feat. I mean, think about uh, when we read um, Hidden Sins last time, right? Like that story had a lot of great core characters, but many of the characters in the periphery were just. I mean, they yeah. could have been they could have been anyone. They they were not uh, very well sketched out or given enough detail to really make them believable. But here we have success with that. So that was great. I really appreciated that. Of course, Um, January and Gus are very well fleshed out because you're with them for 80% of the novel. But even uh, Sonia, the mistress, Mm -hmm. she has a scene essentially where she is trying to say, hey, I'm a whole person too and I would like to be seen as such. And consideration is given to her position in all this too. She's not just the evil mistress. Yeah, and at the same time, you know, you also come to know and understand mom and dad and you feel for them too in their different perspectives. I think um, Emily Henry did a wonderful job of making all of the different emotional shades in this book clear and also make the reader feel as though they could side with any of them really, you know, like a very compelling. um, Yeah. Very compelling emotional shading. Let's go with that. That's how I felt about this. I even sided with the three fart in labs. Oh, yeah. The three fart in labs. I mean, (laughs) I was, you know, I I just had chili and cornbread for dinner. So, like, I'm a fart in lab. Completely relating (laughs) to their journey of sitting on the couch and farting when someone says something During a terrible book club. Yes. I mean, that's... That's that's one of the only scenes where we see them. So uh, anyway, I'm 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 fine. But everything's cool. I'd like everyone to know that Chris is not cool editing out guts parts. Town. Um, <laughs> anyway, uh, so in tandem with these really great character sketches, we also have in general really great dialogue and banter. Um, we will talk about a couple of things that were bad and lame later but overall the dialogue is very believable it works um yeah chris i, I know you have a, a couple of examples so why don't you you want you give your yeah. piece on it and then that was a seltzer popping open that wasn't a fart 
<laughs> Thank you for saying that because I can't edit around you talking as you opened it. Okay. <laughs> wait, wait, what person thinks a seltzer can sounds like a fart? <laughs> Hold on. Hold on. I here. just inhaled some seltzer. It was very unpleasant. <laughs> oh, God. My what nose kind is of burning. farts are you having from chili if they just sound like that, Paris? I mean, it's really good chili, clearly. <laughs> <laughs> If it's if it's is, a geyser, is your, then is your butthole thin aluminum? <laughs> <laughs> you know, after many hot pepper incidents over the years, I did oh. have to have my asshole replaced, and the most affordable option was thin aluminum. Yeah, who knew? Okay, well, fair enough. A- aluminium for our European listeners. Oh, thank you. Anyway. Back to the mostly charming dialogue that happens in this book. I have to, you know, there's some bants happening here. People have verbal parries and reposts and whatnot. It's, you know, for a romance book, that's kind of what you're coming here for. I would yeah. imagine that, that's yeah. what, mostly what you want. And it kind of makes me upset that it took me to get to this book before I started seeing great examples of it. I guess Late Bloomer had some of that too, but no, I mean we had, we had good examples, I think even in Hidden Sins, Late Bloomer. Yeah, Hidden Sins had even, a couple, but this one had a lot were, of it. There were other books. I mean Bear had some fucking great dialogue around love and relationship. Sure, yeah. Anyway, we've seen it before, but not nearly as often as we would like. Sorry. Anyway, continue. here's a couple of examples. This one of your murder spots, I asked, walking around the car to him. I refuse to answer that on the grounds that you might try to take it from me. Solid grounds, I answered. After a moment, I couldn't hold the question in any longer. Doesn't it bother you? Having to live in someone else's tragedy. Five years. That's a long time to put yourself in that place. Gus tucked the nozzle back into the pump, all his focus on twisting the gas cap closed. Everybody's got shit, January. Sometimes thinking about someone else's is almost a relief. Okay, fine, I said. Let me have it. Um, I can read the next one if you want. <clears throat> this is January talking about uh, her relationship with her ex-boyfriend Jacques with her best friend Shadi. <clears throat> Once for my birthday, Jacques took me to New Orleans. We went to all these amazing jazz bars and Cajun restaurants and witchy shops. And the whole time I was texting Shadi about how badly I wished we could be together, drinking martinis and watching the witches of Eastwick. Gus laughed. <laughs> Shoddy, he said ruefully. I remember shoddy. Yeah, well, she remembers you, I said. So you talk about me. Gus's smile inched higher and his eyes flashed. To your perfectly favorite person, shoddy? You talk about me to Pete, I challenged. He gave one nod, confirming. And what do you say? You're the one who said I could ask anything, I shot back. What do you say? It's strictly need to know, he said. The last thing I told her must have been that we got caught making out at a drive-in theater. (laughs) I laughed and pushed him away, covering my burning face with my hands. Now I'll never be able to order another pink eye. So yeah, like cute little dialogue like that, a reference to a joke that was made by another character before because Pete references some kind of coffee she makes as a pink eye when it's really a red eye, I think. Yeah, yeah. Which is just a shot of espresso in coffee. I know because I enjoy it. Um. <laughs> yeah. So, it, but like this is the good example of that twilight conversation that Edward yeah, and like Bella we, had about right, exchanging right. like questions. Mm-hmm. Yeah, it, like it's the a, human version of it. <laughs> yeah. Instead of, hey, you like Lincoln Park? Yeah, I like What's your favorite color. Lincoln Park. I like brown. brown. Uh. <laughs> 
Brown's cool. Brown's cool. It's my turn to ask questions today. What's your mother's maiden name? <laughs> Social security number. <laughs> Street you grew up on as a child. <laughs> okay. And first car you owned. <laughs> you could just tell by the flavoring of the text here that it, this is how a normal human conversation would feel. Right. Why, yeah. I, it, yes, it's difficult to do, but why did it take this long? And even there, there are some descriptions of um, feelings people have that I thought were just, mm, just made me immediately understand what the writer was saying and what the character was feeling. So uh, Gus and January in the scene are at Pete's 4th of July party and they are drinking this very alcoholic blue punch. He was so close that most of his face looked blurry to me and the smell of the blue punch on his blue lips made my blood feel like it was spiked with pop rocks. And to me, that's a great explanation of, you know, those those excitable feelings you get when you're with someone that you like or love. And, you know, they kind of, yeah, they make you feel like your blood's got pop rocks. And I just thought that was a really fun description. This um, is why we and, read books, kind of, right? To have these interesting angles shown to us, different perceptions of the same feeling that we know. You've read about being excited about being into someone new before. But we have all these words available to us. Why not be creative about how you use them? Yeah, I'd rush, much rather read something about my blood being full of pop rocks to elicit feelings of excitement, you know, and and love than hearing another person say, oh, my breath caught in my throat and oh, my heart. It's like fucking Christ. I'm so full of hunger, of, Paris. So full of hunger. Yeah, it's like all the same shit. So that that's why that stood out to me. Uh, and then this is this is different. This is a section where January is working her way in her own head through um, Gus and why Gus focuses on kind of more darker subject matter. Uh, <clears throat> that was how it always was. He never looked away from any of it. Maybe he thought someone had to bear witness to the dark or... Maybe he hoped that if he stared into the pitch black long enough, his eyes would adjust and he'd see answers hiding in it. And I just think that's such a great description and immediately helps you understand, you know, Gus's yearning to try to get something out of the, you know, the blackness of existence. I, I just thought it was a good way to put it. You know, it's nothing. I don't know. Yeah, we're not like saying that this is mind blowing, but just it's good. It, it's a good yeah. example of why you would want to read a book to have some fun and entertainment here. I have yeah, something and, similar, actually. Oh, yeah. Go ahead. Sorry. I had another description that was also about how January looks at Gus, which, by the way, if you're telling a love story from the point of view of someone, of course, you would want to have really good, interesting descriptions of the love interest, right? If right. that's what the per character is focused on, you should probably have a bunch of good descriptions about him, like this one. He was always leaning on something, like he couldn't bear to hold all his own weight upright for more than a second or two. He lounged, he sprawled, he hunched and reclined. He never simply stood or sat. In college, I thought he was lazy about everything except writing. Now I wondered if he was simply tired, if life had beaten him into a permanent slouch, folded him over himself so no one could get at that soft center. The kid who dreamed of running away on trains and living in the branches of a redwood. Yeah. And after you read that, you get a really good mental picture of Gus's posture and how he carries himself. Right. Um, 
Oh, right. There's a couple good Sonia lines, too, about like about how January perceives Sonia, someone she dislikes. Um, One of those was, I felt guilty. I knew she'd come here of her own volition. But this couldn't be easy, scraping the muck out of her heart and holding it out to a couple of strangers. For a second, she was stock still and somber, a Midwestern Madonna in a stone pieta, some sacred memory cradled in her lap where we couldn't quite see it. Mm, yeah, great description. Um, and then there's a, there's actually, sorry, one more before we move on. There's this line um, when Sonia has her one real scene where she actually talks to January, you know, about her dad and their relationship. This one line made me just totally understand Sonia and made me, I, I just stopped and was like, yeah, that's a great way to put it. So Sonia's talking to January and she says, Maybe I wanted someone to understand that I'm a complete person and not just someone else's mistake. She's trying to explain to January that, you know, she's not just her dad's mistress and that the relationship was more complicated than January probably thought. And I just, yeah, it was, it was a really great line, great line of dialogue. And this is just some of the examples of pretty good descriptions out there. These are particularly notable ones. There's a lot of stuff that's just run of the mill. You know, you got to set a scene in a book and everything, and it's just done technically well, I have to say. Yeah, yeah, exactly. All right. So um, next thing that we thought was pretty good was um, whenever January and Gus are getting into sexual scenarios, you know, whether they're fully having sex or whatever, um, they are both always really good about using contraception. And I feel like, and like, you don't more like directly asking about it is yeah, the, the thing which, that I was, into which is great. Just using it, just R- yeah. po- positing the question. Yeah. Like, but you know, they're, they're making out or whatever. And January just straight up is like, Hey Gus, you have a condom. And he's like, Oh yeah, hang on a second. And like, it happens, I think two or three times in the book. And honestly, I know that sounds like a simple thing, but so many romance novels just gloss over it. And then you sit there wondering like, Y'all people spreading infections, <laughs> getting pregnant. Like, what are you doing? I mean, you're and not it's even just, just it's because it's part of like when you're having an adult relationship with someone to ask that because things pop off, you know, pretty spur of the moment, especially the beginning of something. Mm-hmm. And it's not terrible to just go, hey, you, you got you, you got something to help us not have a kid because of this right now. Right. Or like just basic questions like, hey, are you on birth control? Are you you know, how do you how do you want to handle this together? And it was, yeah, it was just very nice and consensual and considerate and quick. And quick. <laughs> and <laughs> and like, yeah, so that was that was great. I thought I thought it was really good to have that in, um, you know, a best selling romance book. Also points to the both of them for after one particular sex scene, just immediately going for the snacks and the water afterward. Well, I mean, I we, just we, dis- that. we disagree on this point because they were. Go, going on a, a backpack a backpacking trip which we'll get to later but they yeah don't worry about they, no I, I wasn't saying like oh my god he thought to bring it for the sex i'm just saying the act of like yeah i need some water and a snack well i mean everyone does oh are you saying that no. it's just not often in books yeah like you don't see that uh, that often yeah, yeah. just again they... adding a little bit of realism to things we're like you know i just we just exerted ourselves here we could use some fucking water Right. You want some fucking tortilla chips and a fucking swig of whiskey from this flask? Like, okay. Um, yeah. And, and on the topic of sex scenes, I think that they're in general better than average. I, I feel like they're on par with stuff from Hidden yeah. Sins where, yeah. you know, the like 
Although I think Chris and I both agreed that the dialogue during the sex scenes <laughs> this, yeah. is where well, we see some of the worst dialogue in the book. This um, could be our segue point maybe in a bit. Actually, we have one more other point, but we'll get to but, that. Chris, you had a great point here about writing well, a good sex scene. I have a theory. Scene. I yeah, have a I, theory <laughs> here. I, I, this is a hypothesis. I haven't thought it out a whole lot yet. And I think we're going to have to wait for an action book of some kinds to really put this to the test here. But I think writing a good sex scene is a lot like writing a good fight scene. Because you have to keep track of all these physical movements and bodies moving in space and whatnot. And Mm -hmm. whose hand is where, who's touching who, are they up against the wall, all all that kind of thing. Um, It's very easy to make it mechanical and boring. And you don't want that, but you also don't want to lose track of where people are or what they're doing. Um, And at the same time, it's also nice to keep it fairly exciting with interesting settings or perhaps moves. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah, I think you're right. And 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 you're you're um, I'm going to say I think you're right uh, for another reason, because, yeah, you don't want to make it too mechanical and you also don't want to get like so bogged down in details that it's just like, you know, we're describing, you know, I don't know, someone's leg for fucking two paragraphs. Like that's also mind numbing. And we've, we've read some uh, books with sex scenes like that, where it just went on forever and it had to describe every fucking pubic hair and every fucking <laughs> curve of a thigh. And it was just like, Oh God, like, you know, like, that's I get all- it. she's yeah, hot. I get, I get it. it. And I really think this book and Hidden Sins both did a great job with like describing everything sexual without being pornographic and also without being mechanical. So yeah. Yes. Good job. Although um, this this book didn't give us a line on the quality of as the khaki shorts go between <laughs> them, unfortunately. <laughs> yeah, this one would be more like as the as the novels tumbled off the bookshelf behind them, <laughs> which kinda almost happened. Uh, um so, I mean, and uh, just disclaimer, when we get into the things that were not good section, we will talk about some aspects of their touching and sexual stuff that was bad and weird. But overall, it was good. Um, uh, lastly, so that, yeah, just that's my tip is write your sex scenes like a fight. <laughs> yeah, I think you're say. right. I think you're right. <laughs> or write your fight scenes like they're fucking. <laughs> Either way. Oh, you know, I don't know if it flows both ways there, but we'll, you know, they're we'll all grunting at everything, yeah, and making true. exclamations. <laughs> in fact, let's see when we get to the, talking about the dialogue in the sex scene if we could slot in Gus's dialogue for a fight scene with January. <laughs> That's instead. a really good idea. All right, you want you want to take us to our last good point before we go on? Sure. Um, the last good thing was that at the end, you might have caught it in our summary. Um, they spend a lot of this book talking about how January writes happily ever after romance endings. And at the end of this book, she's still somewhat anxious about the path she might take with Gus, but she decides to settle in on a mentality of happy for now, which essentially means I'm not going to worry too much about what could come in the future when I'm having a good time now. Mm-hmm. And I think that's a very mature viewpoint to have. Yes, obviously plan for the future a little bit. Don't just, you know, continue completely in the present all the time. But at the same time, thinking about, oh, it's going to get bad later. This is going to go south is just it's time and energy wasted. In yeah. My or if- or conversely, 
spending your whole life thinking about getting married and having a wedding and having kids yeah. and a white picket fence and 2.5 dogs. Yeah, and like, even the like positive end of it. Also bad. And like, I agree with you. Also a fucking waste of time and energy. Like, yes, you should plan out certain things in your life, but don't get into a relationship with someone and be like, you know, oh, this is doom and gloom or, oh, this is my fucking prince chart. Me, like, I'm not you hitting need to be these <laughs> particular things that need to be hit at, at, yeah. at this particular moment. It's either way, you're putting needless pressure on yourself. So Agreed. I can very much get down with the happy for now sentiment that happens near the end of the book. I came around to this line of thinking in a previous relationship that I had. Um, it was someone that even at the start of the relationship that it lasted for years. Uh, I knew this person would be moving out of the country eventually, and I would not be following them. So it kind of had a deadline the whole entire time. And I spent a lot of time at the start of the relationship worried about that and, like, trying to sort of prove my worthiness as, like, you will remember me. <laughs> but, but, like, it's just time and energy wasted. And eventually I just kind of came around to the idea of, like, just, just try to enjoy it while it's happening now. Like, you're you're enjoying yourself now, and it's fun. Just stick with that. It's going to suck later. Yes. And it did. But now, you know, time heals all. Yeah. I got through it. We all get through it eventually. All right. So things that were not good. Um, This section is a bit longer, but um, I don't think that that necessarily translates to the book overall being awful. So just don't take it that way. But um, we do have we do have a a list. (laughs) So nits to pick. Yeah, we've got some nits. Uh, the first bones nit. to scrape. Oh, <laughs> yeah, I got plot to scrape. Come here, give me your sharp plot bones. All right, so the first that'll make sense in a moment. So our first issue, honestly, is with the plot and all the plot contrivances and conveniences that make this little fucking beach read swim. Uh, it's it's just too much. It's too much. You know, we have the coincidence of. January and Gus being in the same town, living not only the same town, but living next door to one another. Um, him being the nephew of the woman who owns the bookstore in town. And then like January going to a book club that both Gus is invited to and her dad's mistress. I mean, it's just, and this is this, these are just a few of them. <laughs> there are How about more Gus's like, ex-wife walking back in at just the right moments to have like a dramatic like right when Gus has to take like, a couple days away because things got hectic in his relationship with January and oh here's his ex-wife at the precise most dramatic moment and I get you're trying to make your book exciting and it has to be dramatic in some fashion so you're going to have some of these dramatic moments but you can have that without piling on so many of these dang coincidences that well, all had to happen at the same time well yeah and I'm actually going to argue right now that Naomi Gus's ex-wife popping in did not need to fucking happen it did not make any sense it felt yeah. really shoehorned like oh we just got to make this dramatic point at the 80% mark of the book and it's like why I just it just felt it didn't it didn't need to be there. Just is that a need consequence? Is that a consequence of Gus being so cagey about himself completely through the whole book where you actually kind of don't get a window into his past? Well, that's what January is complaining about the whole time. And that also kind of makes the whole Naomi thing feel shoehorned in because you never hear about her until like the last little bit. Yeah, it just it it didn't feel necessary. I feel like 
you know, they could have been executed better. Like January could have overheard him on the phone with her, or he could have just been straight up with her earlier. I mean, Naomi appearing at a, at a book talk in this little town that she doesn't even live near. I just, it just didn't make sense. Um, there are other ones too, like shoddy in January, both falling for people they'd observed from afar for a while at the same time. Um, when January gets into town, she arrives on Gus's birthday when his friend is throwing a loud party for him. Uh, January's birthday is the same day as Pete and Maggie's moving anniversary. I mean, it's fucking absurd. And Pick at, some. That, at that point, I started to think, is the author doing this as like an inside joke of like, haha, how many coincidences can I throw in this romance book? I don't know if it was intentional or not, but it's fucking ridiculous. <laughs> Just pick, pick some, like have half of those and it's better. Maybe not yeah, fine, like, but it's better. Right. For example, it would be one thing if January moves to, you know, the fuck house, whatever. And then Gus is in town visiting his aunt. That would make more sense. <laughs> Frankly, I um, guess. But then we can't have all the cute window note writing scenes, right? They have to be next to each other for that. Fine. We'll make that the one coincidence then that they that they're neighbors. But then fuck off with all the other coincidences because it's wait because that's a major one. And all the yes. other ones are just too much, you know? Yes. God. Even um, the shoddy falling in love with someone else at the same time. Like, I could have accepted that as like thematic parallel kind of a thing yeah and also i mean you know they're both young women in big cities like yeah sure you know it's just again on top of all the other stuff yeah it's like a wedding cake with too many layers and too much sugar like that's what this felt like it's just all gonna come crumbling down before the ceremony's over um yeah oh that's right chris this book insulted you not once but twice okay i wasn't seriously offended by this so before i go into this i'm mostly sort of like joking around about i was more i was offended for you on the second one but go (laughs) ahead that's true okay so in one instance um pete is talking to january and she mentions her name you know her unusual first name um and she says at least you're not named rebecca or something like christine or christy and i was like oh okay so me and my partner are the most generically named people in the world (laughs) rebecca and chris i see i understand book yeah, you're throwing the most shade at me and my partner. We're fucking. wonderful together, actually. I agree. That's right. Stand up for the Rebecca and Chris's of the world. In fact, sign the <laughs> Just because we're commonly named doesn't mean we're boring. It's true. Um, secondly, uh, when Shoddy shows up in town, she's making a couple of quips at January about like, oh, it's a small town. And then she says, and that the only Uber driver in town seems to be legally blind. I was like, hey, fuck you, lady. Mm, yeah, not We can't cool. drive. That's the whole point. I just don't think it's cool. to And, and like, Chris wasn't even mad. I was more pissed about this than him. I just feel like it's not cool to casually use disabilities as a joke. Like, able, I don't know. It's, like, ableist I mean, and not should, funny. I, I shouldn't drive. Let's be honest. Like, that should not be a thing I should do. I was more offended on the, the end of, like, okay, if they're legally blind, they wouldn't be able to drive. Well, the thing is, though, it's like, why couldn't you just say the, I don't know, the dri- driver was a poor driver and describe it in a different way without having to poke fun at someone who has poor vision? Like, I just, ah, I just hate that ah, shit. People do that. That's real people shit. <laughs> I know, but I, but it sucks and we shouldn't perpetuate it in media. Uh, yeah. I was, that was just my one mile away. Fuck you. Yeah. I, I, so. I'm sad that I can't drive. Yeah, it's it's just not. I don't know. I just I just feel like minor quibble. Minor she could have said it. She could have said anything else. Yeah, <laughs> you know. Um. Anyway. All right. 
Moving um, on. There's this whole this whole letter mu- subplot basically where uh, January's dad dies, and we actually d- I think he just just straight up just, just kicks it for no real yeah, reason in goes his sleep. Into sleep essentially. Don't really know why he's not. Doesn't seem like they're terribly old, so not totally sure. But he dies, and um, he leaves January a letter with a key attached to it. And the key of course is for the fuck house that she is now living in. Um, and she just doesn't want to read the letter because in her mind, she thinks this is the last communication I'm ever going to get from my dad. So I want to save it and savor it, you know, when I do read it. So she just sets it aside and it's been kicking around for, I don't know, like a year now. And eventually she finally opens it. And the letter says, hey, you should open the safe in the bedroom upstairs. It has more, more stuff for you in it. And the co- and it tells her that the code is her birthday. So she goes and opens the safe. And what's in the safe? But a letter for every year she's been alive from her dad. So every year on her birthday, her dad would write her a letter and put it away, apparently. And for me, it's like... <laughs> Like, it's a, okay, it's a cool idea, but, like, I don't know if any parent's brain can really handle that kind of a thing consistently over time. I know a lot of parents, and I don't know if they would have the time (laughs) to really do something like that and to keep it going for 29 years or 23, 30 or 28, whatever. Some parents care, Paris. Believe no, it or no, no. not, I'm not saying that they don't care, but I'm saying this is kind of an. It's something that sounds like a cool idea, but I don't know if anyone would actually keep doing it for 29 years. Is my point. Um, and secondly, like, so these letters, so it gets weirder because they're not just letters that are like, "Oh, I love you so much." This is how you've grown this year. Like some of them are that, but mostly they are. These letters are specifically going to be about me telling the truth. P.S. I am having an affair. And it's like, I don't know. if I don't know if that's what a dad would do. When was I mean, he expecting to hand those over? Well, he must have planned to give them. I mean, he had to have because he there. He had a letter written in preparation for telling her. So I don't know if he like knew he might die or he was just like, I don't know. I'm getting old. Better write this letter with the code on it. I, <laughs> I don't know. It just, but there must've been seemed... another plan, right? Was it, was it always a dead man switch or was he <laughs> going one day? It's like, Oh, well you're 60 now and I'm 90. So here you go here. I'm revealing my terribleness to you now. <laughs> yeah, She fucking moves the lamp and the safe goes up in flames and acid. No, but I just feel like it's, it's hard to believe that someone would, do that for so long and then also that the letters wouldn't just be like oh i'm your dad i love you it would be like i am telling you all the sordid truths of my life it just seemed <laughs> like a it seemed like a really fucking contrived way for the main character to get a closure around her father that i think most people wouldn't get and that it's not realistic to get unfortunately and i hate you could to- have just made it his journal right couldn't you have just made it his journal yeah that's true. Could have just been a journal. But anyway, I it did feel contrived. And again, I just don't know that 
it just seemed like the author was like, oh, I want to make sure she gets closure. And it's like, well, but it would, but just leave her. She's fine. Make her deal with things like a fucking adult. <laughs> like, I don't know. I, just, I mean, I guess you had to have this sort of emotional time bomb in this story, right? Because a lot of January's stuff that she talks about for herself emotionally is avoidance of stuff like this. But she could so have just talked to Sonya and then eventually had a conversation with her mother and like could have reached the same. True. The you know the same the, the emotional time bomb could have just been I'm going to call Sonia now mm-hmm. and ask her directly what it was like to be with my dad. Yeah, or the Sonia scene could have happened as normal, and then she could have also talked to her mom and gotten like collective closure. Yeah, I don't know. I just thought the letters were fucking extra and hard to believe. That that's my problem. Um, yeah. All right, now we're gonna move on to <laughs> some cringy sex chatter oh boy um <laughs> oh god this book might have had some of the most cringy sex chatter yeah, and it's it's gus it's always gus every time <laughs> yeah january is mostly mute i think she'll speak up sometimes she'll ask about a condom but then yeah gus it's is like gus is out here going like god january and fuck january <laughs> which i can so- sympathize with you're so fucking beautiful. You're like the sun. That's the <laughs> actual line from the book. Okay, so I think if I was writing a fight scenes and sex scenes, maybe that one wouldn't fit in there. I want to be your perfect fucking Fabio, January. That might also, fit in a fight scene. Also a real line. And then my last real line that's really bad is, I don't need snowflakes. He kissed me. As long as there's January. <laughs> oh, oh, God. God, oh, I'm imagining Gus as some kind of like alt-right, like these dang SJWs out here. I don't need no snowflakes as long as I have my January. Definitely can't put that one in a fight scene either, I think. I think actually my theory breaks down over here. You can't trade fight scene dialogue with a uh, sex scene dialogue. Maybe you could be like, oh, you're so fucking strong, like the sun or something. I don't know. <laughs> I just, I don't know. And and to be clear, not all of those were during sex. Sometimes it was just when they were like kissing or just together. But just, I don't know. Augustus gets some of the worst fucking lines in this whole book. And they are unforgivable. Whew. Yeah, They're those They're supposed to be like cute and adorable and stuff, like romantic. That's what this was supposed to be, right? But like, I don't know, man. I would never... Oh, I just can't imagine saying any of those things or being what, receptive. What, if Tanner came to you and he was like, I don't need to be in Europe because I've got my parents. Oh, no. <laughs> Fucking thumbs down. Thumbs down. No. Yeah, no. I'm no tell thanks. him to say that to you now. <laughs> no. Yeah, it's so. And the reason they're like especially bad because the rest of the book has this pretty realistic dialogue and banter between the two characters, but then they start falling for each other and they immediately start making some bad word choices <laughs> and dialogue choices. And it's, I really don't like jarring. the fuck January, like that stuff. Fuck I can't. January. God, January. <laughs> I mean, I think it's also just cause her name has so many syllables. It doesn't roll off the yeah. tongue at all. So yeah. it's, it's kind of, uh, yeah, it, it's just, like Jan or Janie or I don't know, man. January is just. I'm, just I a mean, hard time. I'm not usually directly addressing people in those moments either. 
I'm having a conversation, sure, it's like, you know, keeping up on how you're doing and everything, but I just, I'm going to use your name at you. or you know. I don't know. I mean, like, I understand that. It's fine. Everyone, I'm not saying oh, never do it. Like, you can never say my name after, like, during. But there's just something especially comical about it yes. in this book when it shouldn't yes. be. Yeah. So, yeah, that's that's our point. Um, Speaking of January fucking Gus, Chris, oh. you want to take us to our this is a major issue I had with with <laughs> how January reacted to some things in the book. So they've started to fool around a little bit. They have their initial um, going like at first they're making out in like a drive-in movie theater and they actually get thrown out because the like the I don't know movie theater usher drive-in th- movie theater usher comes in. Like, <laughs> hey, there's kids say- here. Hey, there's <laughs> kids here. <laughs> movie theater guards for some yeah, like, like, well, in it's their drive-in, armor. Stop. You violated theater. the law. So the, <laughs> Pay the, the fine. Field, the car field guard. <laughs> yeah. I don't know. Sorry. It's, it's, it's the oblivion guards from <laughs> the Elder Scrolls. <laughs> anyway, so they, they, they escalate from that and of course they start fooling around and um, so they have one encounter that seems all well and good, and then a couple of days later, they're at Pete's 4th of July party, I think mm-hmm. it is, or something, Correct. and Gus seems a little cagey, and he actually like kind of wanders away for a bit, And but before he does that, January basically says, hey, you want to meet me in the bathroom? And Gus knows what she means by this, and then she's really upset. When he's like, no, I'm okay, not right now. And she's like, he rejected me. Oh, but like just yeah. hours ago, we or like just days ago, we were together. How could he reject me now? I don't understand what changed. What changed is that you're at a public <laughs> party with like 15 or 20 people where people are drinking quite a bit. It's a 4th of July party. Right. They're going to want to use that restroom every 20 minutes or so. Also, there's children here too. Yeah. So maybe... <laughs> Maybe yeah. Gus is just being considerate of the other people at the party where he doesn't want to be like uh, occupied and then you're also like oh, because you got his dick in your mouth. I don't know. Like, but d- d- yeah, that's, it, don't get so wound up over this lady. It was such an unreasonable thing to get upset about. And <laughs> like extremely I, unreasonable. I mean, and I was just, I remember at that point being like, man, fuck January. This sucks. Not to be yeah, Gus fuck about January. it. Fuck <laughs> January. Uh, but I was just like, how childish to feel like any rejection, even when it's very reasonable. Like, why are you even proposing this? Again, this is a family party with <laughs> many people. Like, I just, you know, and I, I got to say, uh, Chris, I don't know if you remember this, but when me, Chris. Oh, I remember Chris, exactly what you're about to bring up. Yeah. And uh, Leanne and I forget if Josh was living there at the time, but we had this whole uh cadre of folks living in this house when we were all in college and when i think it was it was it leanne's graduation party something like that i think so it was a lot of her friends yeah it was one of our roommate leanne at the time she had a bunch of friends over for something i don't remember if it was her graduation or if it was something else some other that's not the important detail no she had a bunch of people over and there were so many people there that none of us knew and it was kind of uncomfortable. I remember me, Tris, and Chris being like, and like Chris's brother Adam was there too. And we're all like, all right, whatever. Let's just have a good time and not worry too much about it. Uh, in that house, there are two bathrooms. There's one on the first floor and one on the second floor. Um, and 
so you know, two bathrooms is usually fine, but there were there were a lot of people there. I want to say there were like thirty or forty people. It was it was it felt like a lot of people anyway. Enough people that both bathrooms were in use throughout the night. And at some point, someone comes and gets me. I think. Or Tris, or Tris got me, I forget. But somebody's like, hey, we can't get into this, the bathroom on the second floor. And we were like, what? There's nothing wrong with that door. That's weird. And somebody else is like, yeah, I think some people went in there and the light's off. And I was like, oh, you gotta be fucking kidding me. So these, these people that we didn't even know were in the second floor bathroom having sex, we presume. And we were, you know, we're banging on the door. And I remember me and Tris standing there being like, hey, this is our house and people need to use the bathroom. You need to get your clothes back on and come out. And they still took like a while to come out. And then by the time they did, we, I remember talking to Leanne and being like, yo, fucking send those people packing. Like they suck. What the hell was that about? I mean, you know, it's it's just so inconsiderate, especially when it's you don't know. It's a very rude thing to do very at a rude. very well-populated party. Yeah, and also, like, when you don't even know the hosts well or at yes. all. I mean, they must have. I And I even think that Leanne said she didn't know them. I think this was, like, yeah. weirdos came with a friend of hers and she didn't know that. So it was, like, total strangers fucking in a bathroom. <laughs> and we were like, get out of there, you assholes. Yeah. Oh, so yeah, yeah, that's why it's rude. And then when January brings it up a second time later in the book oh, at a you. different situation about following Gus into the bath, relax, late Jesus. She's got a bathroom thing. I think it must be a, something for her because God. Okay, yeah, so anyway, anyway. That's, that's that whole thing. <laughs> <laughs> um, Don't fucking bathrooms, people. It's rude. Yeah, Unless it's, it's your bathroom at your house and no one else is there. Right, and, it, and it's one thing if you're in a mansion and there's fucking 80 bathrooms and, you know, 20 people there, there's plenty to go around, but, like, you're tight quarters. You've got <laughs> yeah. one or two bathrooms for a large number of people. Just save it. Fucking save it. Yeah. You'll, be, you'll still have the hots later. It's okay. Moving on. Yeah. <laughs> so, I, I don't know, Chris, do you want to take a break from sex-related commentary, or do you want to get it all over with now is my question. Let's do it now because okay, we're okay. on so this we'll, topic. We'll uh, we'll get back to our other points, but <clears throat> all right. This author or January, the main character, not sure, has a thing for bathrooms. This author obsessed with hip bones. She wants to talk about her hip bones. She wants to talk about Gus's hip bones. She wants to talk about touching, biting, holding, skating hip bones. Fucking give me all your bones, fee fi fum over here on this <laughs> Michigan Lake. Jesus it, Christ. It, they're, they're scraping bones. Things scraping. are scraping along bones. That's not a nice feeling. I don't like that. I don't like nope. that. There's a reason this is, I have a type, and it's because bones hurt. That's <laughs> why. <laughs> but it's the Dude. skating, too. It's like, why is it, everything is skating on hip bones all the time? Like, Gus has a little finger tech deck that he's just doing kickflips <laughs> and ollies off of her on or something. That verb is used so many times. Um. So the word, so the, a reference to hips happens 45 times. <laughs> 45 times people that is too many times can to you be type talking about him in can you can you give me how many skating or how many skates? skates yeah hang on please hold how many kickflips is he pulling how many kickflips uh we've got we've got nine versions of skate or skated or skates which personally i think is too many okay. times yeah i mean but just that that's a lot of times to be using the same verbiage and it, um, it's always yeah. about 
across hip bones is what makes it worse. It's always about hip bones or or, or ribs. Oh God, there's there's actually speaking of fucking fee fi fo fum shit. Um, there's a moment where Gus is tracing the edges of her ribs, and I was like, ugh, it sounds uncomfortable and also unhealthy. <laughs> like I just I don't know the thought of someone of someone lightly touching the edges of my bones. It just makes my insides like clench and ugh, it just makes yeah. me feel weird. No, thank you. Mm-mm, no, thanks. I, I mean, I, I guess like, if, I guess if that's for that's for some people, that's fine. I yeah. just struck me as odd. We're not bone shamers here. No, no. Um, <laughs> that's my fantasy mage class. Class is the bone shamer. The bo- <laughs> um, yeah, and, and like, severely well, anti-sex <laughs> mage bone shamer. Um. I mean, and like Gus may as well be like a torso and a head because the only stuff she ever says about how attractive Gus is, like January just hyperfixates on his face, like his smile, dimples, and other facial characteristics, which I get. I mean, the face is very important. I understand that. But she's, it's always the face or the flat stomach. And I just, you know, can we get, can we get some love for like some nice backs, nice legs, Maybe, can we get some love for a dude who doesn't have a flat stomach or six packs or whatever? I don't know. It's just this obsession with the flat stomach and the, the, it's just, I get, I don't I get, think it's it fine. ever mentions him directly having like a six pack or anything. I don't know. That's why I as, said flat stomach, Chris. That's but, why I said flat okay. stomach. I said, or a six pack because that's also common in romance novels, but like, I actually kind of like the description of Gus in regards to this. I have it here. It says, sure, he was just barely on the tall side of average with the lean muscle of someone who never stopped moving around, but also never intentionally exercised. A lazy kind of fit that came from genetics and restlessness rather than good habits. But it was more than that. I think that's actually a pretty good descriptor. That's another good example of a like, but a that's not. way. But that's not what I'm talking about. I'm talking about her. Uh, she's only ever really fixating on those two things about him. And I just thought that was kind of odd. Like, I don't know. I feel like when you, if you are attracted to someone or love them, you're going to think about more than just their stomach and face. Yeah. Fair. <laughs> I'll agree so with you there. I don't know. I thought it was a little odd that she didn't really ever go beyond that. I will that commend. I, I do want to commend the author. For, I don't think the word or phrase he was perfect is ever used or like he has the perfect body or something like that, which you do see in a lot of other romancy things and I just want to say, okay, thank you for that. You know, making it clear that this is January's preference more than anything. Um, well, Gus does call January perfect. He calls her perfect because that's such a fucking yeah. cringe dude line to do, but yeah. her to him never happens. True. Which I appreciate. Um, also, she's never bringing up like, you know, penis size or anything like that either which is also yeah that, that's true I, I will say that was fucking merciful um something chris that you brought up was um that despite the pretty competent writing throughout the book there are some unfortunate repeated phrases like we just talked about how skate is used nine times <laughs> and it just felt a little heavy-handed or the use of that felt a little heavy-handed i had one phrase that it for me, it hit worse because it occurred very rapidly. There was one paragraph paragraph where it happens two or three times in a row. And it was a description about January's life or her emotions being torn in half. It happens very quickly one after the other. 
And I think for a book that usually does a pretty good job of having decent descriptions of things, having a similar thing like that happen so quickly is a little jarring when it's something that it looks like a half an hour of rethinking one of the lines would have helped you out. When it seems like effort was put into the rest of it, why not kind of fix that in editing as well? <clears throat> yeah, I don't I I don't know. I don't remember that personally, but I I agree, you know, if it's yeah, we we don't need torn torn in half a bunch of times when there's other ways you could say that. Uh <laughs> Personally, I think Gus should join Cirque du Soleil because he is a tear juggler extraordinaire. <laughs> Let me tell him. you, every single time January cries, he's kissing or catching or wiping or, or fucking caressing a tear. And it just gets silly. He's skating on those tears. Oh, he's <laughs> got his tech I'm deck kick on, scooping up the tears. Yeah. <laughs> I mean, and it just, it's, it's mentioned so often in single scenes. Actually, they're, when they're in the tent at the cult camp, which we're also going to talk about. That's going to be like the um, last point I think we got to bring up here. Yeah, let me, uh, let me see if I can find the, the fucking tent tears. <laughs> I just read his palm skated up. Ah! The whole um, palm, like just dragging against her skin. <laughs> Like petting a cat real hard. <laughs> January, no. Gus roughly cupped the sides of my face, holding my tear-filled gaze to his. Not at all. He kissed my forehead. It wasn't about you. Not even a little bit. He kissed my tear-streaked left cheek, caught another falling tear with his mouth on my right. He pulled me in against his chest and wrapped his arms around me, covering me with rain-dampened heat as he nuzzled his nose and mouth against the top of my head. I feel so stupid, I whimpered. I thought you really... I do he said quickly, drawing back from me. January, I didn't want you here today because I knew it was going to be hard. I didn't want to be the reason you spent a whole day in a torched-out graveyard. I didn't want to put you through this, that's all. He brushed some hair behind my ear, and the sweetness of the gesture only made my tears fall faster. But you didn't want me at Pete's either, I said, voice-breaking. You invited me, and then we slept together, and you changed your mind. You didn't take me into the bathroom! Sorry, that's not there. <laughs> really what she's crying about, though. That's really but what she's is, crying it about. It is part of it. His mouth juddered into a look of open hurt. I wanted you there, he all but whispered. And when a fresh tear slipped down my cheek, he caught it with his thumb. Again, we've got, we've got four fucking tear juggling moments in this, like, two paragraphs. It's just... It's just I must have again, all of them. Like, it would be fine if it happened in one scene. It would feel meaningful if he was, like, kissing or wiping her tears away. But it happens, like three or four times <laughs> in and, one and, scene he's catching many of them yeah and as if they're a really, precious resource for him no yeah. don't you're losing moisture <laughs> oh, they're on fucking arrakis paris and they, she, she cries <laughs> just. yeah well you know what they didn't have any fucking supplies with them on this camping trip from hell <laughs> yeah. so maybe Let's go you're into right this one this is the so, point where we should go all to right this. all right who taught these idiots how to hike in camp like they, I'm not even kidding. They they hiked for out several hours, meaning three plus hours, to this burned out sex cult campground, and then they ended up sleeping in the tent there in the pouring rain. And it seemed like all they brought was a tent, uh, some tortilla chips, and two flasks. This is what is mentioned for supplies. There <laughs> is got nothing some clip else. Bars. 
They've got some cliff bars. Oh, I'm sorry. Cliff bars, tortilla chips, a tent, and two flasks. Like, did y'all have sleeping bags, sleeping pads, pillows, two tarps, blankets, water, anything for being alone in the woods overnight? A lamp? A bear can? Because you are in the wilderness, and if a bear fucking smells your goddamn cliff bars, you're going to die? Like, y'all should have fucking died with your flasks and tortilla chips in your fucking tent. I just, I was so mad no, about okay. that. Okay. That's one thing to be mad about in, the, yes, in this. But is. This is like kind of the like as you guess from the tear scene right there. It's a little bit of the emotional climax of the book in a like one of them, let's say. Mm-hmm. But so Gus has taken January to the burnt out remains of the cult compound. For Again, his, like three hour walk into the woods after they drove three hours. Yes, I think. Yes. It, there is a line that where Gus is like, that's the trailer where the children burned to death. <laughs> Sorry. And then, and then they're, they set up the one small tent they have like a little bit, like a couple of feet away. And they have sex in it. Paris, I don't know about you, but like having to push out the thoughts of like, and this is where all the cult members like burned themselves alive as well as the children. Like, I would be a little... Wait, I don't wait, have some wait, problems, maybe. There's an amazing note that we both basically... Well, you made it before I did. Uh, but, uh... <laughs> yeah, let me go to it. So they're... They're fucking in the tent, and January says, the, you know, in her mind, the rain fell around us, and I let go of everything that wasn't Gus, wasn't this moment. And Chris made this incredible note that was... I especially tried to block out the thoughts of children burning alive in a trailer not too far from here. <laughs> I mean, like, it's horrendous, true, but like, come on, guys. I mean, it's true, though. Like, you're already in this absolutely devastating place. <laughs> it's the middle of the night, pouring rain. You have no supplies. Why are you like, this is the time for <laughs> sex? <laughs> like, I guess maybe, maybe it's like. Gotta keep warm somehow. To- to those who about who, uh, to those about to die, I fuck you. I don't know. Like I'm not really sure, but it did. There's just it did. like fucking ghosts of dead children floating around there, just going, "Oh shit! I didn't expect this to happen over here." Yeah, it was. It was just. Uh, it was a strange choice. There's kids Let's- here, Paris. They keep doing it with this kids around. <laughs> yeah, just. Just a strange choice is all. I just really There's think ghost that... ghost children here, you two, please. <laughs> fucking... Fucking cult matron ghost is like, excuse me, in the tent? You know, just because we're dead doesn't mean we can't see you fucking um, in ex- there. Uh, excuse me, boo? Excuse Boo? Ex- boo? <laughs> Run now, please. All right, summon the bears. <laughs> okay, yeah, that's... <laughs> Uh, we had a lot of problems with that yeah. particular um, scene. Sorry, we do actually still have a couple more points. So, the so kind of like what we were saying about how the the letters were sort of this like I don't know overly contrived device, and how you know so she could have just <laughs> um <clears throat> you know there there could have been fewer coincidences, and I just would have felt a bit more organic. That book club scene was really unnecessary yeah, for a variety of reasons. Didn't have to happen. It was a like, terrible book club scene. <laughs> you know, like right at the beginning, there's this plot convenient lighting on their decks. 
So January can't see that it's Gus she's talking to in that first night. Even though night. she was obsessed with him in college and had a huge crush on him, she doesn't recognize his voice or the side of his face or even though anything. pages even though pa- a few pages after she says I would never forget his voice. <laughs> then which is it? Oh, really? Would you never forget his voice or did you forget his voice January? <laughs> so I just feel like A she might recognize his voice, B how is the lighting so bad in on the porch in the house? Like, how how are you not just at least trying to look at the person you're talking? Anyway, um, similarly, there's this there's this book club scene where you know sitcom like where she and January and Gus and Sonia are all there. That's the fart and lab scene, and it's like it just doesn't need to happen. Like, there's no reason that. That, I mean, January and Gus could have just realized they were neighbors and struck up a friendship, or they could have both been in the bookstore at the same time because he's Pete's nephew and she goes to the book and coffee store all the time. Like, I just, it was like this they, whole extra chapter thrown in there. And I was like, they could even you do still this? have a contentious initial relationship, right? Because he has the loud party mm-hmm. and everything, and she's me and. And, and like, he could just turn around and he, he, she could be like, oh, it's Gus. Oh, okay. And, like, that's yeah. enough reason for her to, like, kind of keep coming back. Plus, they're literally right next to each other. So there's a reason for them to interact a little bit more. They could have been forced to talk more together at the coffee shop by Pete. And like, oh, you have you met Gus? He's a writer, too. And then right, she has right. to have a conversation with him. She doesn't like him at first, but he's actually kind of charming a little bit. Like, he was in the coffee shop scene. You could yeah, have done knows? it similarly. She could have needed a cup of sugar. She could have needed a fucking lawnmower. Like, there's just all these other ways that didn't require a whole extra chapter or two of a book club scene. I don't know. I think it was specifically so Gus had to drive her to the donut shop and she had to stay with him for an hour to get over her dislike of him. But if you had a crush on him in college and you still kind of do, you'd probably still kind of get over it a little quickly. Yeah. Anyway, I mean, I guess that's, that's just our... I don't know. Just... Something we both felt. Um, yes. Something that I feel is a little worse, though, is that the book starts with January descending into alcoholism, and then that plot point just vanishes and is never addressed again. She just like, replaces she just, it with Gus. She just magically, yeah, gets cured of alcoholism by dating Gus, and I that is not a great message. <laughs> I just, I didn't really love that. I just thought... You know, she moves into this house. She brings a whole box of gin. She's drunk as fuck like the first night she's there. And then when she gets nervous at that party, she literally just starts drinking an entire bottle of wine. She just chugs like a good half the bottle in the bathroom and then puts it in her purse to keep drinking. But then it, then that, that plot point just is abandoned. What? It's kind of like, you can't, like a you silly can't reference just, later. Like Gus is like, oh, you're going to drink more purse wine? She's like, I guess so. Like that's you it. can't just leave us dangling with the alcoholism. I feel like that's a pretty key point. And honestly, if January had had to work through that, it would have made this book a little more compelling. Maybe it got <sighs> lost in an edit or something. Yeah, I don't know. Um, and there's also this moment towards the very end where January finally figures out that Gus's best friend is a woman. And she just acts like a fucking child about it. Oh, his best friend is a woman. Oh, heavens no! And there's like a lot of pearl. He might not really like me. It's he might very like her strange. Instead. Like no, he's been friends with her for a while. In fact, she's his divorce attorney. So you know, probably like, 
I, I, I think we're particularly sensitive about this because being opposite sex friends and it's, you know, seems very easy and natural to us because, hey, you're just friends with people that you're friends with. Right. Why does it have to be anything yeah. different? Well, and I think I was also bothered by it, not just because of that, but because <clears throat> in general, January is pretty mature throughout the book. But then at the end, she just kind of like dips into all this weird immaturity yeah like being mad about oh no you're not gonna fuck me in the bathroom at a party and oh no your best friend's a woman and where this and where that she i don't know she just gets real immature and i'm perhaps this was a choice i'm well i'm guessing this is a choice made by the author but i don't know it just was a little i mean no one's ever completely adult about their emotions all the time right sure but it just came off as kind of annoying and uncharacteristic Yes, then, I like, will agree on that point, but just playing momentary devil's advocate. Yeah, it just it didn't it didn't seem like a natural evolution of the character. It seemed like it was just kind of added in there to give some drama, much like Naomi just showing up at the book at the book show or whatever that was the interview. All right. <clears throat> Sorry, y'all. last thing. Last thing. Yeah. The last thing is the ending of this book, which is just, you know, your, your classic Gus and January have been kind of having a rough time because they're being caged with each other. But then it's raining and Shadi has come over for uh, January to sort of unload upon. But then Gus is finally knocking on the door and say, January, I care about you a lot. Come out in the rain and we can make out in here in the rain. and It'll be romantic and cute. And then he oh. blasts like Bon Jovi or something Yo, yeah. and they dance in the rain. Something I forget like, what yeah. it is. You too. No, Sinead O'Connor. Sorry. That yeah, was a it's real nothing journey. Compares, it's nothing compares to you, which is, oh, wow. So fucking original, Gus. Yeah. Oh, and then... Like, and, and uh, then yeah. it's like, oh, it's nine months later, and they've moved to in together above a musical instrument store, which is a special kind of hell. Um, <laughs> yeah, I wouldn't wish that upon anyone. There's people that live above my job where I teach guitar, and I feel bad for them. But hey, you chose. Yeah. Um, in any case, uh, after you know they're moving in together, and it's their anniversary, and Gus proposes to January with a piece of paper, like the notes they wrote to each other through the windows of their opposite side decks or something and they live happily for now like so my major problem with this is that for a lot of the book gus is giving he's not really giving january shit but like january's more giving herself shit for like writing oh always have cliche happily ever after endings and so that's what you give january in this book too to just like to prove like oh well you really can have a happily ever after if you have a letter from your dead dad unloading his emotional burdens upon you so you can have closure about it. I don't know. Like, Also, if you're a generally well-to-do white person with, you know, generational wealth and uh, opportunity. An extra house <laughs> that your dad gave you Dude, to I sell? Just, uh, yeah, this, was, this isn't in our notes because I, frankly, I guess I forgot to write it in there. But I did, <clears throat> in one of our early conversations with the book, I did tell Chris that I felt... I did feel that it was hard to sympathize with the characters struggling because January's whining about like, oh no, I can't, I don't, I don't feel comfortable living in my apartment or, or like I moved out of my apartment with my ex and I don't have anywhere to go, but like her mom lives by herself and is well off. And then her dad is like, don't worry, you can live in my fuck house and just gives her a whole ass house that she can use to sell everything inside of it and the house itself to make money or have a place to live. And I'm like, yeah, yeah. I don't feel bad for you. 
I just don't. And then same with Gus. You know, Gus had a hard childhood. Seems like his dad was abusive and his mom died when he was young. But um, he and I I guess he struggled. He like had to he was like a grave digger in college or he has this weird backstory. But then his aunt, Pete, actually is like, oh, don't worry. Here's a down payment on a house and bought him a house in in you know the one he lives next to in January and then I'm just like ah, isn't it nice to be white and have generational wealth in your family yeah. anyway mm-hmm. uh, <laughs> just sorry and then at the end when they're like oh no we're struggling I'm like motherfuckers you both just sold books to it's big fine. publishing houses you're doing fine like you're fine which is why okay which is why when he proposes to her with a piece of paper and not a <laughs> ring, I'm like, didn't you just make a shit ton of money? I'm confused. And to be like, Paris isn't even like, you must have a diamond or like, you, you're fine with you, it, any old ring. I guess you're semi-traditionalist in that sense, but. Well, no, I'm not, I'm not saying that you need a ring to propose, but when you have these like people that are pretty well off, it's like, why wouldn't you have something? I mean, and there's nothing in the book establishing that, January doesn't want that. So it just was like a little like, huh? Okay. (laughs) I don't know. Again, it's, I'm not saying you need a fancy ring. I'm not saying that that's the important part of being engaged and Mm -hmm. loving someone, Mm -hmm. but it came off as weird when you have people who could very well afford it. Yeah, and again, do that. Our broader problem with the ending is just exactly how cliche it is, especially when this book has some discussion questions at the end of it, which we sort of touched upon here and there. But the leading one is In what ways does Beach Read follow common romance tropes? In what ways does it deviate from or subvert them? I'm like, bitch, what got subverted at all in here? (laughs) Yeah, I know. Like, other than the, the use of a condom. Maybe uh, better than average dialogue, I suppose, but not all the time. Yeah, I mean, there, again, it wasn't wasn't an overall awful book, but it's certainly no. not something I would. I certainly didn't have a good time. I, <laughs> I mean, mean, it's not for me. I thought for you know, again, we're not romance fans, but if you want a no. good romance novel, I guess if someone asked me, I would recommend this. Like, hey, try this one out. It's not bad. There's some pretty I good chemistry not. happening here. I would, I would not recommend And, this. you know, sticking to genre conventions isn't a bad thing if it's well done. And I think there's probably a good example of that for romance fiction. But, I don't know, when you're leading off with a question, like, how did it subvert? It kind of feels like you want me to, like, say, oh, yes, this is different from yeah. other. It's not. It really isn't. I from, might, well, at least no, from what I've read. Back. I, might, I might recommend this, but only to someone who was, like, I would like to read a current romance book. I would be like, yes. well, here you go. This one yes. is fine. Again, um, sticking to genre conventions can be fine. I'm a huge fan of the Black Dahlia Murder, a death metal band that like does not do anything necessarily super remarkable in terms of pushing the envelope, but they're pretty great at that style, and I'll keep listening to their records because it's just consistently, that's pretty good. Like Cannibal Corpse, too. I'm sure, Paris, you can agree with on the Cannibal Corpse front. They're just kind of out there, like, yeah. There's, there's some death metal riffs, pretty good. I don't know. I'm not. I've never been into Cannibal Corpse, but yeah, I, I'll. I, I don't know. I, I could. Yeah, sure. I, I get that. I'm sure you have some examples of like, hey, there's this band that it's not like they're doing anything new or crazy, but hey, it's good. Um. Anyway, uh, I would, I would like to say 
that um chris i have i have a confession for our listeners today oh i don't even know about this so i know i'm the reigning the reigning queen of of hating love and romance and i just went on a rant about how you know you don't really need a ring and all that stuff but um i am i am loath to report that i have recently become engaged <laughs> myself in the real world <laughs> uh obviously not really loath to report but uh i'm sure that strikes many of you as odd uh having listened to me rant and rave about my hatred of love for the last six years but um you excitedly sent me a picture of a ring and everything i did i did um yes i was proposed to with a ring um but you know i did I, you know, it's I something, believe, it's wasn't it also wasn't it also on an anniversary date? Uh, yeah, it was our anniversary. It was in front of a waterfall. <laughs> you cliche it, bitch. No. It was in front of a waterfall in an arboretum. Oh, look, it was all high and mighty <laughs> about her romance cliches. <laughs> How the turns tabled. Ah, well, it's because <laughs> the person who proposed to me, uh, my fi- my fiance. That still feels weird. I don't know how I, I, that word just sounds like I'm trying to be cool. I, I just keep. I'm just still gonna call him my boyfriend. I don't know. He's just gonna be. Be my boyfriend, I guess, until whenever we get married. Um, but yeah, uh, Tanner is uh, quite the romantic, so that that explains that. But you know, I we had talked about it. Pro tip, folks: don't fucking surprise someone with an engagement if you've never talked about getting married. That is not a good thing to do. Mm-hmm. <laughs> you want to, you know, have that discussion at some point. You know, you can surprise them. I was surprised, but. So, anyway, yay. so you're a giant hypocrite. I'm a giant hypocrite. You can throw me into the fires of literary hell where I belong. <laughs> um, but yeah, I guess that's and, the point. When you like the person, with the cringe stuff they do isn't cringe to you, right? That's really it, well, so. Like the nothing. outside observer, it might be a little lame. I don't think any. I don't think any of it was. Yeah, because any of it's, well. If you had a scene in a book where they they got proposed to in front of a waterfall on their first year anniversary date, you might be a little bit cliche. It it depends on the context, right? I guess. If if it's written in like a la-di-da, oh my god, they did this. Like, yeah, fuck that. If it's written in a very like traditional kind of typical romance way, yeah. But if there's more context around it, like hey, this place had a lot of meaning to one or both of them. and Well, he, you know. the piece of paper was because they wrote notes on pieces of paper back and forth. That was the significance, Paris. <sighs> I know, but I still hated it. <laughs> <laughs> okay, I'm sorry. Still I feel like hate- I had to give you some shit about that. I know. No, I mean, I'm giving myself shit. I'm the one who had, I was like, fuck, I got to confess. I got to tell everyone. Also, this is <laughs> this is airing months after I was engaged, but I just couldn't. Oh, I had to come clean, y'all. I fucking am mm-hmm. a... I mm-hmm. have, Did he declare a, his love for you in the rain? It was misty out. I will have you know. <laughs> <laughs> no, there were, there were some very... Uh, Paris, un- I'm going to find out that you fucked in a tent next to a suicide cult <laughs> next. And- no, that has never happened. No, oh. no, it was a sex cult. They were all alive. <laughs> no. No, neither of those things happened. But anyway, yeah, I just needed to come clean about how, uh, you know, I'm still an asshole about romance and love, <laughs> but I have my own secret romance and love that <laughs> I just experience on my own time. Anyway, yay. Uh, 
All right, Paris, <sighs> can we fix this? Can we fix I this? Think, I mean, I, I, Chris, I think I think you kind of got it. I'll let you roll with your assessment of can we fix it. I mean, you know, less corny sex chatter, cut the book club scene, have them just meet when the whole loud party thing happens, or mm-hmm. have Gus and January end up getting to know each other just from sheer proximity. Pete knows both of them. He, you know, she shows up to his his house, and January thinks right. it's weird she's there, but oh, she looks like she knows Gus, and she forces them to hang out by insisting January sit with them or something. Uh, you know, maybe don't fuck in a tent near a burned out death cult <laughs> campground. <laughs> yeah, that's, that's a pretty big one. That's that's another one. And if you're going to do the cliche ending, don't lay it on so thick with the professing love in the rain and then anniversary. Just, you know, one or the other. Just, like, pick one cliche thing. Otherwise, I don't think it needs much fixing. The chemistry here is fine, which is, I'm assuming, what you come to a romance for. Um, And it's kind of disappointing to me that I didn't feel this way for a lot of the other books. Even Hidden Sins, I really didn't feel the chemistry level to be as high as these two. So, I don't know. For me, this one has been better than most. This is fine. I say I as, know, the, I feel as like... the trailer burns down around me. <laughs> I mean, I feel like the... Um, I don't know. I feel like... They're, I mean, hidden. it's kind of hard. In some ways, it's difficult to compare them because... Hidden Sins was way more about the adventure and mystery and thrill of the action. And there was this romance subplot or maybe co-plot. I don't know. I would say co-plot. Yeah, but here there's nothing exciting going on. It's very slice of life kind of thing. Um, You know, just interpersonal relationships and nothing else but... I don't know. I I think both Hidden Sins and this had good relationship building and, and genuine <clears throat> dialogue and interaction between the two main characters. I, I don't think I would say one was better than the other. Although this one, Beach Read did much better with accessory characters than, than Hidden Sins. <clears throat> yes, agree. Yeah. Right, yeah so I mean, I, I agree with everything piece. you said. I don't. Yeah. I, so I don't know. Yeah, I still, I still feel like, still feel like I almost feel the same about it now than I, than I did b- before I even read it. Like nothing about my impression changed. It was kind of yeah. what I thought it would be. Yes. Um. So I don't know. Um. If you're into kind of cookie cutter modern romances, this is for you. But if if you don't like that i would say if you if you tend to fall more along the lines of me and chris then i would say don't read this but if you are a romance person and you want a modern one that's you know well maybe Perhaps better done than, than most ah <sighs> yikes yeah okay <laughs> well i really don't want to read romances for a while so yeah i'm, <laughs> I'm done kind of kind of done with that Alrighty, folks. Well, with that, it's time to thank we're the patrons. Thank, our patrons. thank you to Dari, Greg, Veronica, Will, D, Jared, Lynn, Sinya, Yakub, Bobby Blackcat, Jensina, Lycoris, Elliot, Kieran, Martin, Jay, Scott, Luchek, CTAP1, Miri, Yanka, Robert Allen Cook III, David, Julius, Anya, and Anonymous. 
thank you all. That list is getting so long thank that I can't you. even remember it anymore. Um, <laughs> thank you all so very much. If you also would like to support the show, you can subscribe to us on YouTube or watch a couple of videos, you know, leave a comment, like something. You can also donate money to us on Patreon in exchange for some video footage of us, mystery science theater style commentary on bad TV and movies, outtakes, and other random audiovisual weirdness. You can also follow us on Facebook, Instagram, Twitter, and Goodreads if you're on those platforms. Oh, wait, are we on TikTok now? We're on TikTok. Yeah, I mean, I'm still trying to learn the ropes here, so maybe by the time <laughs> this comes out, I'll have figured it out. So we're, we've perhaps ticked but not talked. Uh, yes. we're, we're just kind of barely on there. All right. Uh, most importantly, though, we'd, we'd really love if you just shared the show on social media and told at least one person about it. And please keep those reviews coming and we will read them on future episodes. If you would like to contact us, uh, I was going to say personally, but if you'd like to contact us both, uh, you can send us a message on Instagram, Facebook, Twitter, Goodreads, or Patreon. Or you can send an old-fashioned email to terriblebookclub at gmail.com. Emails are old-fashioned now. No, they're not really. Well, I guess at the, at the with you know, if you take into account the rapid pace of technology, eh, mm-hmm. yeah, I guess a mm-hmm. little bit. We also recently did a guest appearance on Sweet Valley Diaries, a podcast dedicated to reading through the Sweet Valley High book series with Marissa Flaxberg. So you can check us out on the latest episode, episode 57, Teacher Crush. Um, you can find that on pretty much any podcatcher app, just like you can find us. So just hit the search bar in your favorite podcatcher app and look for Sweet Valley Diaries, episode 57, and all the other episodes, because it's a pretty fun time. All right, well, that'll be it for us this time. I think next time around, it's going to be an extra fun episode of uh, Terrible Book Club slash Antiques Freaks. Yeah, I think we're getting freaky with those antiques again. And, uh, you know, we're going from beach read to what's beyond the beach, the ocean. What's in the ocean? Boats. That's all I'll say. What's on the boat? You'll find out. <laughs> it'll, be a, it'll be a fun one. We're doing another Antiques Freaks crossover. So uh, make sure you tune in in two weeks. And until then, we hope that you are reading good books on the beach wherever you are. Uh, we hope you're enjoying, uh, I guess, a summer vacation, summer break, what have you. And we will uh, we'll see you next time. Bye, Paris. Goodbye, Chris. Goodbye.